this year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant Barbie house. A trophy case. Xbox 360. Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. My watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, and you, you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow! And it's a necklace! So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll but give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I, I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually gonna go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy, thankful. For your family, for what? My family, everything. He did make his decision, actually. And oh he goodness. picked the Pandora Charms. Oh, that is, you gonna make me cry. So what are you gonna do for me? Almost for me? For you. Thanks, guys. I was going to. So, pretty much pray and go home, and that'd be a pretty good message, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, you know, on August the 18th of this year, we announced as a church family the payoff of our mortgage and our church became debt-free. So now the kids' conundrum is pretty much ours. Will we give to someone else or are we going to keep it for ourselves? If I can put it a little more baldly, do we believe these words of Jesus or not? And yep, that's where we're going today, so we probably should stop and pray again. So pray with me, and then we'll look at the scriptures together. Let's pray. God, help us. 
Open our hands and our hearts um, that we might be a people greatly blessed to be a blessing. Help us, Lord, we pray. Use your word and your spirit now. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, uh, where I hope we can find some help for this conundrum, this giving conundrum that we're facing. Pastor Matthew Kim kind of sets the scene for us in Matthew 12, or in, excuse me, in Genesis 12, when he says, at the end of Genesis 11, Abraham's father, Terah, removed his family from Ur, which was in southern Iraq, to settle in Haran, which is in eastern Syria. And in chapter 12, God tells Abram that his family is going to relocate again. This time he will move his family from Haran to Canaan, modern-day Israel, Lebanon, southern Syria area, which comprises a distance of about 400 miles. Remember, back then, this would have been considered a monumental move. Imagine you did not have access to a car, you did not have the luxury of renting a truck from U-Haul or Budget or Penske. Everything you own had to be carried by animals for 400 miles. Relocating a family back then was a big deal, especially when Abram was 75 years old. And that's the stage for Genesis chapter 12 where we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is an extraordinarily rich little section of Scripture. In a sense, the entirety of the rest of the Bible flows from this covenant that God is making with Abram. Pastor John Piper writes about it. He says, here we arrive at a point in history which will prove to be of such tremendous importance as to shape the course of the world, both in this age and the age to come. But like many of God's mustard seed-sized actions, it is obscure and seemingly insignificant. It's the kind of action scarcely anyone would have thought of who wanted to redeem the world, reclaim creation from the curse of sin, and fill the earth with God's glory. But here God zeroes in on one man, Abram, who was a worshiper of false gods. And in the land of, of Ur and says, with unbelievably far-reaching implications, these verses we just read. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Piper continues and says, in completely sovereign grace, God comes to this undeserving idolater and says, with life-creating authority, I am going to bless you and through you bring blessing to the whole world. And with that begins the history of the people of Israel. Now, for our purposes this morning, I'd just like to, from this really rich section of Scripture, just underscore three pretty basic but really, really important things from these few verses 
that I hope will help us find our way as a church out of our giving conundrum that we are facing. So the first thing I'll underscore in this is that God asks a great ask of Abram, right? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So to pack up your bags, travel to an unnamed, unknown destination, this is no small ask. And this is the great non-negotiable of following our God. He asks us to trust him. And it comes to us famously from the book of Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so all the details of our future are not known to us, but God is known to us. The question then is, will we leave the familiar place and follow as he bids us? Or will we give in to fear and what we don't know and maybe can't know about our futures? So earlier this year uh, in Washington County in Oregon, uh, the county sheriff's office responded in April to a 911 call from a woman who reported hearing a burglar who had gotten locked in her bathroom. So she could see shadows shifting under the door, and after officers appeared on scene, they heard a persistent rustling under the same door. So after they issued several commands to come out, they brought in a canine unit for backup. They had guns drawn. The deputies opened the door to encounter the suspect, and the sheriff's office says, we entered the bathroom and saw a very thorough vacuuming job being done by a Roomba vacuum cleaner. <laughs> the... the the article says that the suspect was not taken into custody. However, it's likely to be sentenced to several months of continuous domestic servitude. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. When we are mindful of God, when we are mindful of God, the things we are afraid of become insignificant. But when we are not mindful of God and are not actively trusting Him, they can keep us from living out our calling as God's people. God commands us to trust him and not give in to fear because our God is greater. And as we're about to see, he's very, very good to his people. So if we're going to find our way out of this giving conundrum that we're facing, we have to answer this question. Will I trust God and go where he leads? Will I do what he asks? So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Okay. This is the second kind of conundrum freeing thing that's in our text. Uh, there's a great ask here for sure, but there's also a great promise here. Um, Several promises, actually. There's a promise of a land for his people. There's a promise of offspring who will become a great nation. And again, this is quite a promise to a barren 75-year-old couple. Um, there's the promise of blessing, of being made great, in this sense, materially great, prosperous. Um, if you could put it on a bumper sticker, here we have a great promise that our God is a God who blesses his people. 
Our God is a God who blesses. I will bless you, God says to Abram. So this is not just a thing we say to someone when they sneeze. Okay? Our God blesses is the foundation of our trust in him. It's the core reason that in just a few verses, Abram is going to pack up his family and his belongings and begin that journey to the land of promise. God is a God who blesses. And in, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses paints this stunning portrait of the intent of God to bless his obedient people. Listen to it. It goes like this. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come to you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your basket be, and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And in Deuteronomy 28, he's just getting started. This is about half the list of blessedness that's coming to God's people as they obey him. James expresses God's relentless blessing of his people in the language of giving. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God blesses every good gift you experience. It's from him. It's a blessing from God. Our God is a God who blesses his people, even in the hardest of times. Jesus talks about this. In Luke chapter 6, in the Beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're blessed by God even when you are poor, even when you are hungry, even when you weep, and when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You are blessed, Jesus says. God blesses you even then. Peter piles on to this, this promise of blessing from God, when he twice writes this. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And again, he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Okay, clearly, God loves to bless his people. This is his great promise to Abram and to us who are children of Abraham by faith, God says, I will bless you. So he makes this great ask, but he gives Abram and he gives us great promise. And then there's a great purpose is the third thing I want you to see. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Twice God grants Abram this purpose. You are blessed so that you will be a blessing. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Actually, he tells him this a lot more than twice. 
if you chase it out in the book of Genesis. In chapter 18, we read, All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In chapter 22, we read, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth, earth be blessed. In chapter 26, In your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In chapter 28, In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then the New Testament Peter picks it up and says, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Paul grabs it in Galatians 3, talking about Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. God loves to bless his people so much that his blessing is too great for us to keep it all in. Right? It is designed to spill over into the lives of others. God intends to bless his people such that we become a blessing to others, even to the nations, he says. This is our great purpose. Paul writes to the church in Corinth that they would be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We are blessed to be a blessing. And the, the crosshairs of that blessing, of all these pass honorable blessings to Abraham, is Christ. He is the ultimate offspring of Abraham who will bless the nations. Uh, Professor D.A. Carson says, this promise that through Abram and his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, is picked up in spectacular display, especially in Galatians 3. And the fulfillment is found in the ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ himself, who brings blessing to all the peoples of the earth as promised. So we are blessed, blessed both spiritually and materially um, in God's good care for us, spiritually in Christ and materially in the way God cares for us. We are blessed to be a blessing in all these ways, spiritually, material, woven together inseparably. So when we help people in need as a church, we do so in the name of Christ, as an expression of the love of Christ for them, eager to speak to them of the one who loves them and is behind the blessing that they are receiving. So um, let's go back to our giving conundrum. Uh, when we paid off the mortgage back in August, I challenged you even though the mortgage was paid, to keep giving your JOF gifts, your journey of faith gifts, through the end of the year. And that money, instead of going to the bank, would be going for the rest of this year to these five projects. And so since then, we helped purchase that ultrasound machine um, that, we are, that is down in Raleigh now, at Human Coalition. It's operative. You can see one of the pictures, the amazing pictures that they're able to take with this. Uh, to serve moms in crisis and help rescue their little ones. That's in place because of your giving. We are feeding the Holloways in Denver. They are fed, clothed, and sheltered there as they plant our most recent church plant there in Castle Rock, just south of, of Denver in, in that great city um, there. Um, in just a few weeks, I'm hopeful um, that you will see a remake of our lobby and we'll move from uh, like late 90s colors into something in this decade, I'm told. Uh, so uh, as soon as they find someone better than me, with better taste than me to pick out the colors, that will happen. Um, 
our, we've got money that we'll be sending at the end of this year to our Spanish-speaking granddaughter church in Washington, D.C. We have a daughter church in D.C. They planted a Spanish-speaking church in the community. We want to bless them with resources. So that will be sent at the end of this year, as will money to help with this uh, Bible translation project of a, into a Muslim people group's language in China. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in, in, in just a moment. But because of your faithfulness, all of that is happening this year after we paid off our mortgage. So between the August and the end of 2019, all the monies you give that are tagged to JOF go here. Every, every last uh, bit of it. So let me, let me encourage you. The amount we'll be able to give at year's end to these ministries is directly related to what you give. So let me encourage you, finish the year out strong with what you've committed to JOF and we'll give it away. We're gonna give it to these ministries. And if you've never been involved in this, write on your check or by whatever means you give, just tag it JOF, it will go to these ministries. Um, from now until the end of 2019, at the end of 2019, that will be the end of journey of faith as we know it okay it will exist no more hence the conundrum what then um, what we're going to do then is begin a new journey of blessing the nations as God has blessed us based on this passage in Genesis 12 we want to be a church that greatly blessed is a blessing and so we're going to tag this new offering, Gen 12, out of Genesis 12, and that represents the teaching in our passage today, that we are intended by God to be a church that's blessed to be a blessing. And since the mortgage is done, we will be blessing others with all the monies that you, you would have given to our mortgage. Now as you give them, they will be given to another raft of ministries um, that we've targeted in response to what you um, designated at that September prayer gathering where we put forward ideas about what to give to, we've surfaced eight of those that we'll target in, 2000, in 2020. Um, so here's the first draft. There are a couple other things in the works. If the giving is robust, we'll be able to do even more. But here are the things that we're going to give all the monies that you pledged to Gen 12 in 2020 will go to these eight things. We will have finished the, other, the gifts to the other five. These eight will be for 2020. And the first five are local because next year our elders have really asked us to engage this community with the love of Christ in tangible ways. So here's some of the things that we're looking into. Um, the first is to engage in a program called Backpack Buddies or a similar program where kids in our local schools who participate in the free or reduced lunch program are given a backpack of supplies, food, for the weekend. Um, because I ran across this quote from one of the, one of the coordinators of this program. Um, this is from our area. She says, when asking a first grade student about what type of food he ate on the weekend, he replied, oh, we don't eat on the weekend. That's happening here in our community. How can that be? So 
we want to partner with schools in our area that have these kinds of kids in need and connect and build relationships in those schools so we can share the love of Christ there at those central connecting points in our community. We also plan, um, this is almost as fun as that one. Uh, we're gonna, Rob Craig is going to be leading in a bunch of summer block parties here in our neighborhood targeting the businesses that are right all around here. Okay? People that we know as neighbors, we just want them to know that they are loved and so we'll be throwing luncheons for them and building relationships with them. If you're good at parties, you just found your calling. Okay? See Rob Craig, this is in the works with a, a lot of the businesses and perhaps in some of the neighborhoods right around here, we'll be having a series of block parties. This will be funded by the resources from Gen 12. We also hope to start a Bless Wake Forest Fund. It is undesignated monies that will come out of this, and when one of your neighbors, maybe your one, has a financial need that's just too great for them, we'll have resources just to give to them, just to bless them because we've been blessed. So... That fund will be set aside out of the Gen 12 offering as well next year. We also want to help. The fourth thing locally we want to do, we want to find ways to fuel Hope Counseling even more. Um, Hope Counseling is a ministry here at North Wake that's staffed by lay-trained uh, North Wake counselors, trained by Craig Morissette, who heads up that ministry. And we offer free or a donation basis counseling not primarily to North Wakers, to the community, to people whose marriages and families and, uh, are being plundered by addictions or whatever the issues are. We offer Christ-centered, Christ-hopeful counseling to them here on our, on our campus. And Craig tells me that this is one of only two ministries like it in the state where the counseling ministry of the church is for the community. There's only one other place in North Carolina where that's happening. So we want to find ways, and we're, we're researching those now, to fuel hope all the more next year and see if we can raise up more counselors to serve the need. There's a waiting list in Hope Counseling right now. If you want to learn how to counsel and you have good, good people skills and are solid in your faith, see Craig Morissette. We need you in this ministry. So that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing that we want to do locally next year with the Gen 12 offerings are um, to build a new playground for our kids as a way to welcome young families from the community here in our space and let them know that their kids matter to us significantly. So we thought about maybe building something like this. <laughs> but then we realized you would have nowhere to park. So then we came up with this plan, which was to turn the worship space into a giant ball pit. Um, but then we realized we'd have no place to, no place to worship. Yeah, it's been very popular. Yeah. There's a, certain, there's a certain voting demographic that this is really popular with. Uh, but we'd have nowhere to worship. So what we decided then is, is ultimately to settle on something kind of like this. Uh, this, this, we're, we're hoping next year to be able to put something like this in our space so that we have something other than a playpen, which is pretty much, pretty much what we have right there it is in all of its glory that you can see right there. Here's why this is important. Because we want to welcome little ladies like this. She was born yesterday. This is Harper Wood, um, Ryan and Ashley's little baby. Um, she was born yesterday. Ryan is our associate student minister here at the church. 
And uh, there's a whole bunch of folk in the community got little ones like this. And Ryan asked us to build a playground for his daughter, so we said, what the heck? But we, we really do hope that that will be something that says, you are welcome here. You know, you're, your family matters here. And, and so we'll be investing in that. And, and I have learned, playgrounds ain't cheap. So our, gen, our generosity needs to be strategic in that regard next year. So those five things are all local. They will all come out of our Gen 12 offering next year. The last three of the eight that are on tab right now are international. So uh, we will continue to support the translation work of the Bible into the language of that minority Muslim people group um, that, we, that I mentioned to you earlier. We have a, uh, a North Wake family that has uh, worked among these people for 15 years. And they've since relocated to another nearby country, but it was hard soil amongst a Muslim people group in this country. They uh, were able to see some come to Christ, and one of those believers has been willing to relocate his family out of that country and undertake the translation of the Bible into their language for the first time in history their people are going to hold the Bible in their heart language, in their hands. And say, we're giving money to that this year. It's an ongoing project, so we're going to continue to give resources to that next year that will come out of that 2020 um, Gen 12 offering. We will also, for the very first time, host a conference for the gathering of our North Wake missionaries overseas. We'll have intermissions here, just like always in January, and all the extravagant giving and generosity that goes on there will happen. But we're also going to, for the first time, try to host a regional conference overseas. It's really hard for us to get our people back for intermissions. So we're going to try to go to them. And there's certain places in the country where we believe we can gather between five or ten North Wake families overseas and have a time of worship and encouragement and lavish love on them well. So that will hopefully take place for the first time next year um, in that global missions conference kind of a thing. The last thing that we're going to do uh, of these eight that we've tagged so far is we're going to send our North Wake worship team to Japan during the Olympics um, to represent American culture on a stage there at the Olympic venue uh, in Tokyo. And so our people there, Daniel and Tara, are in charge of this venue, and they are gathering cultural representation of the arts from all over the world. They've asked our worship team to come, and while our worship team presents the, the music and art of our congregation, that the, the things that they've written and done, um, there'll be people out there in the, in the crowd meeting people, explaining the culture, explaining the message of Christ to them. So this is really an extraordinary opportunity to present that uniquely Appalachian phenomenon known as Tennessee rap that Daniel <laughs> so excels at. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. This is, this is really exciting. Let me, uh, let me tell you why Japan. That's a picture of the city, city line of, of skyline of Tokyo. Um, the Japanese are the second largest people, unreached people group in the world. Japan is less than 1% Christian. Less than 0.5% of the population in Japan 
is even, are evangelical Bible-believing Christians. Okay. 0.2% attend any kind of Protestant church. Most people in Japan have never been to church, have never read the Bible, have no Christian friends. It's estimated that 95% of Japanese have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can that be? Um, the most vital and pressing need in Japan is the planning of new churches. There's only one church for every almost 17,000 people. There's one church for every 800 people in the U.S. Amongst those um, churches, those few churches, 60% of them are fewer than 30 people in attendance, 60% of their churches, and 70% of pastors are over 50 years old. That's okay. Don't worry about that one. Uh, that's all right. Missionaries are down by 34% over the last two decades. Um, so Japan is a strategic opportunity um, to, to do this really unique work. That's the first draft for where every dollar of money that you pledge and tag uh, to Gen 12 next year will go. Um, if the giving is more robust, we can do more. So just after Thanksgiving, you'll be getting a letter from me, from the office, explaining these, these ministries in, in detail, and in it you'll have a commitment card, just like we did with our mortgage, J-O-F. You'll be able to commit money to give uh, next year, so you know, taking that mortgage money and giving it away. See, we built this building for two reasons. One was, really two, two great hopes, one was we'd make room for our friends, and that's why you're here. And secondly, it was to train our hearts in radical generosity so that when the day came that we were debt-free, we would give it away and not keep it for ourselves. And I am so deeply thankful for that training. Um, so thankful. So next year, Steph and I are not decreasing what we're giving. We're going we're gonna to increase what we give away next year to to this offering. Why wouldn't we, okay? If instead of giving it to the bank, I get to provide meals for kids in our community that might otherwise go hungry, I can invest in our local schools strategically, I can share the love of Christ there, I can see the Bible translated into that Muslim people's language in China, I can send Daniel Cresswell to Japan and infest that land with Cresswellian joy, okay? I want in on this, okay? Steph and I want in on this more than we wanted to be in on a mortgage, I can tell you that. So I just want to know, will you join me next year in glad, extreme generosity to these kind of things in this Gen 12 offering? It's kind of an above and beyond gift that we give beyond our regular gifts to the church. Um, and it could be pretty awesome. So what we gave to our mortgage this year, what we pledged this year, about $175,000. On average, over the, over the JOF campaign, about $200,000 a year went to our mortgage. What if we gave that away? Man. Because the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed, blessed to be a blessing. That's our calling. That's our purpose. That's, that's really kind of our identity, you could say. It's interesting, um, after the, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, uh, Red Sox fans have struggled to adjust. There's a New York Times article that chronicled their confusion. It says, having waited 86 years for a World Series championship, the last time you can see that they won was in 1918. They won again in 2004. Bostonians found themselves swirling with elation, but also scratching their heads. What a Red Sox fan to do when the angst of being one of the world's greatest underdogs is gone. Do we have any Red Sox fans here? I got a couple. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's a guy, his name is Nathan Levine, and when this, when this happened in 2004, he was 98 years old. He remembered the last time the Red Sox had won the World Series in 1918. Seriously, he used to walk five miles to Fenway Park and wait outside the player's entrance, and once he got ushered into the ballpark by Babe Ruth himself, okay? Mr. Levine says, what it feels like for a 98-year-old man to sit here and watch the Red Sox win it all? Uh, it says he now yells at the TV and second-guesses the manager from his home in West Palm Beach, Florida. He said, I lived for them all these years after 1918 and waiting 86 years for this team to do it all against beyond words for me. But he says, now it's over. What are we going to do next? Okay. Uh, Leslie Epstein, whose son was the Red Sox general manager, feels the tension in having a championship team in Boston for a change. He said, they're going to be heartbroken over not being heartbroken. He says, it's not just a joke. That's what made us unique. We were the Boston Red Sox that never could win. Okay? It's like they lost their identity as losers, and now they didn't know who they were. But since 2004, that World Series win, the first since 1918, the Red Sox have won the World Series in 2007, and in 2013, and again in 2018. I think they're figuring out their new identity, right? And so, church, we're losing our identity as debtors to the bank. That's not who we are anymore. What will our identity be now, now that we are out of debt? That's our conundrum. And I just want to say, let's be the church greatly blessed by God, spiritually and materially, that exists to bless others, to give it away to our city and to the nations. Let's act like we really believe the words of Jesus that we started our time with. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? So, Lord, we, we bow before you and uh, confess 
We're better at getting and taking than giving. And yet, you hold before us a kind of joy that we can sense, that we've tasted, and we want more of. Help us, God, to want more of the joy of being a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Direct our path in this. Free our hearts and our hands to engage this gladly. And may the name of Jesus be exalted in the nations because of it. This we ask in his great name and for his sake. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's worship King Jesus together.